the speech that you heard read uh, so well uh, comes um, at, a, at a time in the civil rights movement, um, this is 1957, where the Montgomery boycott has already happened, has, has been successful. So there's been enough for Dr. King and other leaders in the movement to reflect on sort of how God has been moving, where the momentum has been, where the setbacks, where the challenges have been. And, uh, and so in this, in this speech, we... Uh, we hear this vision for beloved community, and that's what Pastor Michelle and I want to want to talk about this morning. Uh, I have my laptop up here, so if you have comments or questions, I'll try to keep my eye on that. Feel free to, to engage in the chat; that'd be helpful for us. Um, but we wanted to think a little bit this morning about this idea of beloved community and these these five principles of nonviolence, and how how might we apply them to our community. What would it look like for us as a local congregation to take serious this legacy of the saints who've gone before us, the wisdom that they they found and and lived into in a very sacrificial way? How might that inform our life together as a people committed to the reconciled uh, way of of Jesus? So that's going to be kind of the the scope of our conversation this morning. And then how, as individuals, do we live this out in our families, in our neighborhoods? in our workplaces. So, so that's hopefully going to be kind of where we camp out. All right. So um, the way we'll move through this is kind of looking at these principles. So I'm going to just ask you about the first of the... Um, the first of these facts of nonviolence resistance. And so the first one is that it's not a method of cowardice um, or stagnant passivity. It does resist. And King went on to say uh, this message excuse me, this method um, is passive physically, but it is strongly active spiritually. And so I'd love to hear like what, what you hear in that, what that means to you, um, and particularly that aspect of being strong spiritually. Uh, and then what, um, what does that require? What's the call for the, for the believer? So I'm going to say that Pastor Michelle and I prepared a little bit for this conversation, uh, but we're trusting that the Spirit will kind of lead us as, as we talk. This is not especially scripted out, and that's, that's on purpose. Yeah, so, so uh, Dr. King is really clear that nonviolent resistance is not passive in the way that many of us might think of passivity. In, at the beginning of the speech in the portion that John read on the top, he, he contrasts uh, nonviolent resistance with violent resistance. And I think many of us would be prone to think that, that violence is more active than nonviolence. That's the air that we breathe. That's kind of how we think um, and have been formed in, in, our, in our particular society and culture. And he's very clear that, no, it's not passive. In fact, it's very active in different sorts of ways. And he says... Uh, just that, that, it, that particularly when it comes to, to um, our, our spirituality, our life in the spirit, that it is very active. I think as I have spent time learning about the civil rights movement and even hearing from uh, our elders who participated in the, in the movement during the Sankofa trips, this is one of the themes that comes up very clearly, is how deeply spiritual uh, they understood this work to be. Uh, so that there was 
a lot of preparation that would happen before people would ever get to the march, right? Um, it wasn't accidental that uh, that churches and congregations in these towns and cities throughout the South were, the, were the, the hub for the movement, not just because they provided space, though they did, but also because they were kind of the beating spiritual heartbeat of, of many of these cities and communities. And so it would make sense then that people would gather first for worship, for teaching, for preaching, for inspiration, for training, before then uh, heading out to participate in a march or a protest, a sit-in, a boycott of, of some kind. Because they were very aware that they would be met with active, violent resistance, and that it, it wasn't enough to simply be passive, that they would need to be active in these, in these deeply spiritual sorts of ways as they laid their, their bodies on the line. So as I think about, about us and our, and our community, I, I hope that we will understand that connection, that connection between kind of this active participation in resisting injustice and the deeply formed spiritual life that can sustain that. It's not uncommon for many people in in our circles, in our church, to be passionate about justice, to care deeply about justice, to to, to want to be about that life. But if we are not being formed deeply uh, uh, spiritually, um, developing spiritual disciplines, being accountable in community, uh, growing deeper and deeper in our corporate worship, then we will simply not have what it takes And we will trade what we experience as being passive for the activeness of violence that we see all around us. And that, let me me not say a lot more about this, but that that participation in violence doesn't have to always look dramatic. You know, it can be a kind of quiet acquiescence to the violent status quo. And so... um, this this need to be to be deeply formed in the spiritual life um, in, in ways that hopefully our congregation has been growing into over the years um, I, I, I hope is something that we are able to hold together and not mistake uh, the work of justice as being separate from am I, does that make that yeah no that's good okay um, again feel free to jump in the chat uh, you guys ask questions make comments we'd love to inter- interact with you a, a little bit there. The, the second um, principle that Dr. King talks about here is that nonviolence, and I want to read a little bit of this, does not seek to defeat or humiliate the opponent, but to win his friendship and understanding. Um, the end, he says, is redemption. The end is reconciliation. The end is the creation of the beloved community. In contrast, the aftermath of violence is tragic bitterness. So, I, I'm sold. I'm in. How do you hear, where do you see, Pastor Michelle, some of the, the obstacles to that vision today? When we talk about the end being not humiliating the opponent, not power over the opponent, but friendship, beloved community. And, and, and clearly, when Dr. King talks about friendship and beloved community, he means specific kinds of things, right? But the end is not kind of winning in the way that culturally we would often think about it. It's something different. Where do you hear that vision? Where do you where do you feel like there's some challenges to that vision, or where might we where, where might we stumble a little bit to really hearing that and living into that? Yeah. So yeah, 
that I love that you said um, that you're you went you're sold right you you buy into. So when I was reading through this, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Am I sold? <laughs> Um, And I I think that um, the the biggest challenge for me is that I think it's not a straight line. I absolutely believe that the the end of nonviolence um, is this beloved community. But if nonviolence is point A, I don't know that the beloved community is point B, right? There's some some, some, some steps in between. Um, And one of the most important steps in my mind is repentance. Um, And so when I think of... um, this idea of resisting um, and and resisting in a way that is not violent and resisting in a way that is not trying, because I think trying to overpower, trying to lord over, trying to humiliate, that is a form of violence. So resisting in a way that is rooted in God's love, um, that is for me, Christianity in action. And specifically that is Romans two, four God's kindness leads to repentance, to repentance. Um, and so it's an idea that, yeah, it does reveal, um, and hopefully allow the Holy spirit to work through us and to work, work through communities like ours, um, to, to provoke shame, right. To help, to help folk, to see, to help us, to see our sin, to see those places in our lives where we are violent, where we are, um, participating in systems of oppression, and then we are led to repentance yeah. so that we can be in this beloved community yeah. um, where we have all recognized our sinfulness and we have all um, um, fallen before God in our shame and then allowed him to remove that shame uh, so that we can then exist together in beloved community. And so for me, yeah, I'm like I, in our class this semester, in the class that I taught, um, one of the books that we read um, was um, A Credible Witness by Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. And the reason I assigned that book, and I encourage all of you all to read it, is I appreciate that she calls us always back to the so what of all of this. And the so what is always uh, for her evangelism. It's always witnessing. It's always trying to um, to win souls for Jesus Christ and to to be that light. And so that's, for me, what it comes down to. Um, And so the stumbling block is that... (laughs) When you hear things like we resist it nonviolently so that we can, uh, you know, friendship. I'm like, I don't know that. I, I, there's some people I don't want to be friends with. <laughs> um, but that is, but, and I don't have to be friends with them. But what we always have to do, I may not be in a place where you might be there, but I may not be in a place where I can immediately be like, I'm so excited that one day I'll be friends uh, with certain folks, kinds of people. But... I always hold hope um, that they too can be called to repentance. Um, and so, and I always will stand in that active hope and that for me, that is love, yeah. right? There is always a belief. There's always a hope. There's always an expectation that in Christ, we can and will one day be a part of this beloved community. Yeah. So, yeah. I have a follow-up if that's okay. Um, and I know we're only on number two. So Michael says, I love the way that, that one is sold, that's me, and one is questioning, that's you. He says, together you offer the reality that in us, that is in us at all most times. We are usually both sold and wondering. Um, so that tension that you articulated, how do you see that playing out in our church? How do you see different ones of us? Uh, coming at this differently and maybe even hearing that vision of friendship or beloved community differently. What, what are some of the places we might miss each other some of the times as we talk about this? Yeah, I think so. 
I think this is true of us and probably true of any, um, not any, many multiracial spaces that are genuinely trying to figure out how to do this thing and how to be in relationship with each other. If I see myself and I can easily recognize myself as um, the one who has participated in violence and the one who who has benefited from that, then where I want to immediately go is yes. (laughs) Like, beloved community, we want to be friends, right? If I see myself as one who is experiencing um, that violence, I, we, we might miss each other. I might not want to get there just yet. And I may be irritated at how quickly, um, at how quickly um, someone else is able to get there or if they, are, um, if they recognize the steps. Like, so I know when I hear you say I'm sold because I know you and I'm in relationship with you, I know you recognize the steps to get there. Um, but I think that that is what we as a church specifically always are having to grow into where we can say, I trust, um, the person who I'm worshiping with, worshiping with enough. I love the person that I'm worshiping with enough, um, that I'm going to believe that they see the steps. And if they don't, they're willing to see the steps. Um, and they trust me enough and love me enough to know that when I'm not over here rejoicing because they got excited about the beloved community, <laughs> right, that, that it's not because I don't love them and don't see them, but there's some space, you know, I might need some time to get there. Yeah. And we can then sit with each other as we yeah. walk this thing out. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, I mean, maybe, maybe a way of kind of tying the first thing you talked about was that when there is that desire for beloved community or, or friendship without repentance— yeah. Um, we're probably not talking about beloved community, and we're certainly talking about we're certainly talking about, about biblical friendship either, right? We're talking about something different, yeah. Uh, Teresa talks uh, asks a question about the connection between uh, verbal uh, violence and how, uh, for many of us, maybe that's a stronger temptation and, and, and experiencing that, and, and how this plays into that. So I'm just saying that out loud. We can maybe engage with that as we go. Um, uh, William says, um, while I understand the idea and agree with it in many instances, uh, I think to always work from this stance can be hurtful for those living through a period. For example, I believe uh, the Reconstruction period took this route, and he said, and look at the implication. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is the messiness of what we're talking about today, and I think it's important that we, we we're honest about about the messiness of this. I love how you say it's not a straight line. Yeah. yeah. That's good. All right, so we're moving to the third, uh, the fir- third fact. And um, again, I'm going to read it as well. Um, so the third fact is that, it, that the attack is directed at forces of evil rather than persons caught up in the forces. It is evil that we are seeking to defeat, not the persons victimized with evil or excuse me, not the persons who victimize with evil. Um, And so I feel like that is especially important and especially salient in the spaces that we are living in right now um, because it's so easy. We're so polarized, um, and we've adopted so much of this team mentality that it is the other team. It's those people who um, we I want them to be shown wrong. I want them to be put in their place, right? So... um, I just, I want to, what do you hear this then inviting us into? And then what does that look like practically to be able to really be specific about the evil that we face and the fact that there are people who are fully sold on that evil, but to also always um, be able to have that separation between those people and that evil. 
And, and, and <laughs> Dr. King is, is, this is a consistent theme. Yep. And so much, I'm like, can you ease off on this a little bit, you know? <laughs> because I do want to dehumanize every once in a while at least, you know? <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, but I, I, I am convinced that as Christians, we, one of the things that is not available to us ever is to dehumanize anyone. Ever. Period. Full stop. Um, and I, I think that's that is so hard. Um, it, particularly when tensions are high and the us them lines are drawn very clearly. The 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 tendency to want to in some way make somebody else less than human runs very very strong. And I do I strongly believe that this is one of the things that makes Christians different. And frankly, strange in our in our world is that we refuse to dehumanize anybody. For one thing, we realize that everybody is created in the image of God. Everybody, there is nobody who is is uh, is not an image bearer of the living God. And we also believe that in Christ, God has made salvation available to everybody. Full stop. And as much as I would like to limit that, or limit. Uh, the image of God in people. As a Christian, I don't get to do that. And I, I do think that this is what Dr. King is is, is getting at to a certain extent, that um, when, we miss, um, when we miss what evil actually is, we, we will make some people categorically evil. Um, and that then allows us to engage with them differently. Um, it, it allows us to to work to defeat them or to seek their demise or destruction. And we see plenty of examples of this writ large. And I think if we're honest, we see how this plays out in our in our own hearts. So this this is the sacrificial cost of following Jesus is that we don't get to we don't get to label anybody evil. Yeah. And when I struggle with that, I think about. <laughs> The saints who've gone before us, who faced far starker evil in their bodies than than, than I can imagine, and who uh, still uh, followed the way of Jesus in, in this. So, on the other hand, what what this theology allows us to, to do is to be very clear that evil does exist, that evil is real. And that people can give themselves over to evil. That people can collaborate with evil and injustice and sin and wickedness. That that people can be actively complicit in uh, dehumanization of of others. And so there is this strange tension that I think Christians hold within ourselves. Which is on the one hand we refuse to dehumanize anybody. and, and, And we could then get written off as not being serious people. As not reckoning seriously with what's going on in the world. And yet on the other other hand, having a robust theology of evil in this world. That we don't think that things just naturally get better on their own. That that we don't don't think that we just naturally grow out 
of white supremacy and racism and so on. So that, that Christians, more than anybody else, ought to be incredibly precise in our ability to describe, to point out, to articulate where evil is in the world and how it's impacting, how it's impacting uh, communities and, and, and frankly, our, our own hearts as well. Uh, th- th- this, is, this is the struggle. It is a struggle uh, not with flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers. And so similarly to, to what we talked about a minute ago, this requires a deeply formed spiritual life yeah. where we understand the battle that we're actually in. We understand who the enemy actually is. Uh, our enemy is most successful when we mistake the nature of the fight that we're in. When we, when we are not engaging in the spiritual battle with the forces of evil on our knees, in prayer, in solidarity with our sisters and brothers, through uh, the weapons of our warfare in worship, and, and so on and so forth, um, we, we get turned around. Um, so I, I, just, I think the call is really costly. Yeah. I think it's really difficult. Uh, but I also think it's really good because the moment that we start dehumanizing anybody else, we start losing some of our own humanity. We start, we start losing the image. We're, we're always forming the image of God, but we start living less out of that and more out of this instinct to dehumanize others, which is always going to turn itself back onto ourselves. And so the, 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 the choice to live fully human lives uh, in the way that God formed us is one of the really, one of the gifts and the fruits of this, this kind of, I don't know, what would you add to, to what I'm saying here? No, I think I love that because I think yes to every part of that. And I think one of the dangers um, in not being able to recognize that people can give themselves over to evil, right? And being able to, to make that distinction is that then we don't see our, in the spaces where we give ourselves over to evil. Yeah, right, um, right. And so it's like, it's a call to recognize always the humanity of the other. And also it's a call to humility because we are always also participating in systems of injustice. And so then I don't ever want to be in a space where I can't be convicted by the Holy Spirit yes. because I have made my heart so hard and, and believed so much that I am good and they are the problem, right? Right. So, um, yeah, evil is real and people every day and give themselves over to it. And we have to every day give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit so that we don't give ourselves over to evil. That's right. Yeah, that's that. Thank you. I I had that thought and then it went away for a second. The the, the participation in the in the justice and righteousness of God for the Christian will always be deeply humble. It will always be deeply confessional. We will we will always begin by saying how how. How has my own heart been compromised? How, how have I sinned uh, actively or, 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 or not? Um, again, and this takes nothing away from the full, robust participation in the battle against the, the spiritual forces of evil. Uh, but we do so never placing ourselves in the, in the, in the place of God. Uh, we, we always uh, come underneath the, the, the lordship of, of Jesus Christ. Um, let me see here. I, I want to... So, so uh, Juliana says, this route seems both... The, the right seems to be both the right approach, but also the approach that takes more time, <laughs> a lot more time. How do we reconcile this with the urgency of now, as Dr. King speaks, of relating to things like voting rights and preserving our democracy? That's such a good question. And I know Pastor Michelle has a good thought about that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think it's always like that's why the, the, the Christian life is not about like the destination. Like we're always moving. And so it's always a cycle of, um, 
acting and discerning and acting and discerning and repenting and discerning and acting and repenting and discerning. So I just, I think that, yes, we're going to do this for the rest of our lives, right? We're going to, we will, for the rest of my life, I will always have to wrestle with, um, asking the Lord to show me myself, right? I will always be called to repentance. I will always have to wrestle with the temptation, um, to see a person as my problem, um, and not, and not the devil, (laughs) not the forces and the powers and the principalities. Um, and I will always have to be listening, actively listening for me. That's prayer to where God is calling me to take my feet, (laughs) what God is calling me to open my mouth and say, what God is calling me to put my hands to. And that happens in in process, right? As I am repenting, as I am broken and flawed, and as I am doing all the things, I am also protesting and voting and and reading and speaking and doing whatever it is that God has called me to do. So it happens at the same time. That is what it is to be a Christian. Yeah, that's right. And and um, and we have a different understanding of time as well, right? Because we worship the God who exists outside of time and who holds all time in, in, in God's hands. So I, for me, this does two things. One, it allows us to be very patient in our own growth and development as a community. We understand that we breathe the same sinful air as everybody else, that our God is long-suffering and patient with us. And so we are not going to utilize the kind of violent mechanistic tools of the world to try to form our own community. We are going to participate in the patient work of God in forming our community. And we will be responsive to the crises of democracy, of voting rights, as imperfectly formed, still on the way, still in process, still being redeemed and sanctified people. We will not wait until we've gotten all things right and figured it all out to respond to the fierce urgency of of now. But in so doing, we will do so from that posture of humility, saying we don't come as the ones who have figured all of this out. We don't put ourselves in God's place. We come as broken, uh, uh, sinful people who, who need the same redemption that we are proclaiming into these, uh, into these particular spaces and, 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 and places. Um, uh, Michael says, I, I think you are right about this piece about dehumanization, and I disagree with the truth on this. Uh, uh, it is so hard to live this. And that... I can't tell you how deeply I feel that. And this is why I am so profoundly thankful for the generations who've gone before us who've modeled this. Not perfectly, but who have showed us that the way of Jesus is livable. Um, Again, never perfectly, but that it's good and right and livable even as we profoundly struggle struggle with it. Okay, we got to keep moving here. It's my turn to ask you something, right? I think so. We're on the fourth. Okay. Uh, Thank you for these questions that you all are sending in. Keep them coming. This is... It makes us feel more like a conversation. Uh, so Dr. King, in, in this fourth point about nonviolence, he, he says that it avoids not just external physical violence, but also internal violence of the spirit. And here he's thinking about love and the role of love in the nonviolent movement. And when King talks about love, he's very specifically talking about a certain kind of biblical love. He says, we love people not because we like them, mm-hmm. not because their attitudes and ways appeal to this. We lo- to us. We love them because God loves them. Here we rise to the position of loving the person who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. So now we're getting into the easy stuff. Um, <laughs> I mean, it just, it just keeps, um, so 
there, there's a, he, 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 he's, he's not diminishing evil. He's not diminishing wickedness in people, but he is articulating a vision of love that at least for me kind of makes me squirm a little bit. So how do you hear this and how do you respond to this vision of agape love where we are, are choosing to engage with people, not out of our love, but God's love for them? Yeah. So yeah, this is another one of those tough ones, but I think, so for me, this, the, the, the ability to to inhabit that space of agape love and to choose to love the person who has absolutely given themselves over to evil and demonstrates it very tangibly and in your life. Um, for me, that comes down to two things. The first is um, a belief that they are created in the image of God, right? And and so and so according to the word that I I believe. God loves them and calls them precious and beloved as well. So I, one, I have to believe that in faith. And then two, a hope, um, that God, that they don't have to stay that way. They may, but that God, the same spirit that called me is calling them. Um, and so like this, so I'm, I'm reading through, um, the Bible this year again. And I'm one of the places I'm at right now is Mark 10. And that's the story of Jesus dealing with the, um, the rich young man, uh, and I particularly love the way that Mark tells the story because there's, there's the man comes up and he's talking to Jesus and he's like, you know, tell me what I need to do to get to heaven. And they go through the, the commandments and the, and the man is like, you know, I've done all these things, you know, is there something else I need to do? And the text says, Jesus looked at him with love. Um, and then he goes on to tell him, you know, sell every, all of your possessions and, and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And he knows that that's not what the man is going to be able to do. And the man walks away sad because he can't accept that command. Um, And then in verse 27, the way that it ends, when the disciples are asking Jesus about this, he says, with man, nothing is impossible, but with God, all things are. Because he goes on to say, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, They're like, well, then what are we doing? (laughs) So, But he says, with man, it is um, impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that, for me, is what that, that love looks like. It's like knowing that God looks at them with love and knowing that it is, even though it's beyond my imagination, that some, I like legit beyond my imagination, that some of the people um, who it's hard for me to love, it's hard for me to imagine them being in a space where they are on the side of justice, as I understand it. It's hard for me to imagine them being in a space where we agree on anything, right? Um, it's hard for me sometimes to even imagine that when they say they love Jesus, because many of these people say they love Jesus, that they mean the same thing I mean. Like it's there, and I promise you, I have definitely been trying to figure out a theology that would allow me to, to be like, oh, that's a different faith. They don't mean that. Like that's not the Jesus that I serve, right? Um, it's hard. I can't fathom it if I'm being honest. But I have to believe. That with me, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so that is the posture that I have to take. And it's so it's not, there's no warm feelings. And I, I appreciate that as King talks about this um, in the, the, the body of the speech, he says that like, this isn't, this isn't, you know, oh my gosh, I can't wait to have you over. And we're just going to sit and pal around. It's not that love. But it, it's, it's something that is rooted. It's just, it's deeper than that. It's, it's understanding that regardless of how I feel, it's true that they are my brother or my sister in Christ because God said, and I trust that God is God all by himself. (laughs) Um, 
and that he is going to do the same way I'm believing he's going to finish the good work he's begun in me, that he's going to do it in them. I can't fathom it, but he can. Um, And because this isn't be, it's not just for me that whatever is happening right now, there's some things that I may not see the end to, right? It's it's beyond my imagination because I'm not going to see it. But maybe a couple generations down the road, they'll see something that I don't see. And so my actions and my faithfulness and my love is not something that dies with me um, because God is love. It's something that's going to go on. It's going to extend for generations. And somebody's going to see it. Somebody's going to see that good. I'm going to see it too, but probably not on this side of glory. (laughs) But somebody on this side of glory is going to see something that I could not fathom and cannot imagine. Um, so yeah, that, that for me is what that comes down to. Yeah. This is why agape, I think is so important because so many of us are, 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 when we hear that thing about love, what we're picturing is, is tolerance or acceptance, but the love of God is not tolerant in the way that we think of tolerance. And it's certainly not acceptable of sin, injustice, or evil. I mean, read I would say the Old Testament. Read Jesus uh, and, and, and the hard sayings of Jesus. The love of God is truthful. It speaks a hard word of truth to any evildoer, to any sinner, to any wicked person. And I say that as a evildoer and a wicked person and a sinful person. That is, that is a word of judgment. Now, in Christ, mercy is available as well. Thanks be to God. But that does not take away from the word of judgment. That is the word of truth. And so I, I think this is, this is why we need to, to take these conversations in context, because the same king who can talk about love is also the same king who can talk about white supremacy and militarization and the nation's deep complicity with, with mammon and, and violence and greed and, and, and so on. And so to love somebody with agape love is, is never to lie to them. It's never to, to allow them to be comfortable in their complicity with injustice and wickedness. To love somebody with agape love is to speak the hard word, is to live in a manner where they at times will feel as though you are opposed to them because the way you live cannot be complicit with their flow with wickedness and injustice. And that is agape love. That is the love of God. So, so, so let us hear very clearly what, what is being said and what is not being yeah. said in, in our participation with the love of God. And don't believe for a second that by saying the hard thing or standing up against the unjust thing that you are not loving, that you have to choose between the two. No, this is how we uh, oftentimes participate in, in God's agape love. And I want to add to that, and you get to be angry, right? Because that, because agape love, we, it, and that's why I'll say, read the Old Testament and read Jesus. Yes. Like anger is a real thing, and we are told in our anger we don't sin, right? And I think where, that's where it comes to that dehumanization. Yeah. I don't. Right. It would right. be sinful for me to then dehumanize. Right. It would that's be right. sinful for me to believe that those people somehow um, are are less than I am, right? Or are outside of God's ability to reach down and grab and snatch them out of that lie. Um, but you should be angry, and if you're not not angry, you yeah. might not be loving. Yeah, like right. if you're not angry, then there that's may right. be some sort of a, yes. um, yes. you know, Stetford yes. 
stuff going on with you. Like, like you should, you should be angry. Um, yeah. So that I, and I, I feel, I, I really, really want to say that because I know I walk for a long time. Like, God, I just want to be loving, but I'm always so mad. <laughs> like, and, and the answer is yes. And you, that's, that's good. Right. That yes. means that you are on the path of love. Yes. You yes. should be mad. Yes, absolutely. Am I? No, no, it is me. Okay. Right? I think so. Okay. <laughs> yes, we're on the last prompt, fifth prompt. Um, not prompt, fifth fact. <laughs> I'm going to read a prompt. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, so, and I, and I, so I love this one. So the, the, the fifth um, basic fact um, is that this idea that the universe is on the side of justice. Uh, and those of us, and I, I just wanted, those of us who call the name of Jesus Christ find something at the center of our faith, which forever reminds us um, that God is on the side of truth and justice. And what I want to ask you to speak on um, is like how, because I think we could all, we all would give mental assent to that, to right. say, yes, right. I believe um, that God is on the side of justice, that ultimately in the end, you know, we win, yeah. right? How do you sustain that hope in your own life? Um, and what do you hear for the church? Like, what does that mean for us to live as a people who, who for real believe this? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Uh, as I was reading this, uh, I, I thought of this passage uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. For in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. I am, uh, I am so thoroughly convinced that the Christian's hope is always eschatological, meaning that our hope is rooted in the return of the resurrected and the victorious Son of God. Now, we need to unpack that a little bit (laughs) because some people hear that and say, so that means we sit and wait until Jesus comes back. That means we accept that things get worse and worse until Jesus comes back. Here's why I I need, because you asked me, here's why I need an eschatological hope. Because I am not good enough, strong enough, wise enough to always see hope around me. And and if I am relying on myself to find hope in any given moment, I am prone to make stuff up. I am prone to mistake the American dream for Christological hope to mistake American optimism for the hope of the resurrection. If, if, if it depends on me to wake up each day and find hope, uh, I, I will lie to myself and to others. I need a hope that exceeds my abilities, exceeds my competencies, exceeds my potential to experience anything. I need a hope that is bigger than that. This is why Paul says Jesus Christ is the first fruits 
of the resurrection, evidence of what is to come. That's the kind of hope I need. I need a hope that exists outside of myself in in that way. And because God exists outside of time, somebody say amen, that resurrection hope can never be contained to the future. It can never be limited to the future. It's always breaking into our present right now through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the resurrected and returning Lord of the universe. Right? That's who abides and dwells with us today. So I have a hope that is rooted beyond my capacity to conjure up on my own, which I need. I have that anchor, but I have a hope that will not be contained in the future, that refuses to be siloed, and through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is constantly breaking into our lives everywhere. The kingdom of heaven, the will of God being done on earth as it is even now in, in, in heaven. So this is, this is the hope that I have to nurture. I have to nurture a hope that is beyond myself, but is always breaking into to our world and in, into our into our lives. And that, when when King starts talking about the resurrection, that's what I hear. I hear not a a, a theological conviction for me to hold on to to help me go to sleep at night. I, I hear the kind of orienting reality for the entire universe. That, that the way I experience hope has been fundamentally uh, uh, changed because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And so what this means on a very practical level is that uh, uh, the, the, the saints who've gone before us could, could go through wilderness experiences and times of exile and not lose hope because that was a resurrection hope. It's still oriented. It's still grounded. It still breathed life into their situations. If we if we miss this, I'm, I'm rambling. So let me end here, and then I want to hear from you. When we miss this, we end up going on our own stamina, and so we say, "Yeah, I'm excited about this. I want to give my life to this." And then time passes, and we don't see what we think we were supposed to see. Because somewhere in the back of our minds, there's a narrative. Here's what hope looks like. Here's what success looks like. Here's what justice looks like. And when it doesn't happen, when and how we think it's supposed to happen, we bolt. We slide into the status quo. We, 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 we fade away. But I'm convinced that the saints who remained faithful are the saints who had that eschatological resurrection hope. And they are the ones that then got to see the, the, the fruits of their labor because they, they stayed present in the, in the places, even when they were difficult places that God called them to. So what do you, what do you want to add? No, I, I, yeah, that's, I think like what you said in the beginning about this idea that you will, without that, you will lie to yourself, right? We will, we will make things up, um, I think earlier in the speech when Dr. King talks about, you know, he says it's a sociological um, fact that people, privileged people rarely give up their privilege without a fight. And it's also a sociological fact that um, oppressed people, um, when they are fighting for freedom, basically it doesn't end until they achieve freedom, right? Um, And I think that, like, without this, what you are talking about, this eschatological hope, this eschatological um, orientation, right, that also recognizes that that's right now too, right? It's not just the end, it's right now. We will lie to ourselves about what freedom means because it, evil is, is sin, it's, right? Like it, <laughs> we will believe that freedom is exactly what you, that is the American dream, that freedom is being able to have 
what the people, what those people, <laughs> the, the yeah. folk who we've identified as keeping us from having whatever it is they have. When we get a taste of that, we've achieved freedom. And so then it's, I think that's the reason why I've heard a number of people ask, like folk who, pe- people who are oppressed when they get power can often become, very easily become oppressors, right? Because nothing breaks in the system. Like that's not, that vision doesn't change anything. That vision doesn't, it doesn't require any structures to be undone. It doesn't require any systems to be challenged. It just means we shift who gets what. And so that this idea of an eschatological hope is something that is beyond my imagination because my imagination is limited. I've been formed by this air that I breathe. So it has to be something that is outside of myself, and I have to be then surrendered to to the one who is outside of myself and inside of me who can then lead and direct me so that I know what I'm supposed to be chasing after. So I know what I'm supposed to be, right? Like I direct my energy and I direct my prayer and I direct my action because otherwise we just, we we will just... Be us. Yeah. <laughs> we will just be us. And us, it's not enough. It's, it's, that's such a better way of, I wasn't going to end it that way. Us is not enough. That's, that's, <laughs> let's end it there. That's better. Brian and Juliana quote uh, uh, Dr. King here. Uh, we must accept finite disappointment, yes. but never lose infinite hope. Amen. That's the resurrection. Amen. I think that's what the resurrection allows, allows uh, us to do. Um, let, let's end here. Um, King ends by talking about the importance of being maladjusted. Yes, I, love that. I do too. It's so good. It's so good. You can hear that. You can hear the preach. You can hear the preaching happening. Uh, the challenge of this hour is to be maladjusted. Um, talk to our church. What does it look like for us in this moment to be a maladjusted community? A people together maladjusted to, to racial injustice, to white supremacy, uh, uh, to, to, to class injustice. What, what does it look like for us to cultivate together that, let's call it a, a holy maladjustment? So I was thinking about this a lot in relation to... Um, I think you talked about it maybe in a Bible study. I know you've preached and, and mentioned it, but this idea of the power of the call to worship, right? That it's um, that when we come into this space, it, however we come into this space, right? Like right now we came into this space by turning on Zoom for most of us. <laughs> but when we are um, regularly being called out of um, the the spaces that have formed us all week long, right? And and being reminded of who we are and who we serve, um, I think that that becomes really just practically important in this time, because it's there's so there's so much that is so extremely crazy that it is really really easy for us to miss the ways that we've been formed and are being formed by crazy. Um, so one of the one of a very practical. Um, example of this, um, the, the polarization over the, the dumbness, uh, the, the, the massive dumbness around ma- wearing a mask or getting a vaccine, right? Um, and I, I believe that it is, well, maybe I shouldn't say it's because it's ahead, go ahead, but I go do ahead. believe it's dumb to just, to decide you're not going to get, I mean, if you can, to, I'm not getting vaccinated, not because I have health issues, not because of any of these other sorts of concerns that might be real concerns, but because politics or I'm not going to wear a mask because like these are, these are dumb things to me. Right. On the other hand, it's also dumb and we should, we should be able to name this. It's also dumb to, to decide I don't need to pray about COVID. Mm. Like I like 
pray that God would protect us from COVID. Like that's, that, that it, it's dumb if our first orientation um, is not also yeah. to be praying about this thing, yeah. right? Um, and I think that there's a way, like it, we live in a time where there's one, you are in one of two camps. There's some people who say, all you right. need to do is right. just pray. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to get right. vaccinated. I pray and I believe Jesus is going to protect me. And another camp yeah. that will say, well, all I have done, I got I got my vaccination and I wear my mask. Yeah. We ought to always be somewhere in the middle of that, right? Um, And so for me, like, that's what that... That's what being maladjusted means. It means I'm not going to baptize whatever the arguments are of the day in my faith, right? I'm not going to baptize the politics of the day in my faith, but I'm going to constantly be trying to hear what the spirit is saying and recognize that on both of those sides, there's stupidity. (laughs) Maybe, maybe we ought to be somewhere in the middle. And that's true of probably every issue we could think of that some, we ought to be somewhere in the middle where we are never very easy easily defined by either one of the things that for me is to be maladjusted in this space and in this time. So, yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Um, I, I, uh, I'm going to say anyways, okay, we're, we're going long, but, um, when I think about how a speech like this would have been heard in that moment, I imagine that for those in the congregation, I'm, I'm making an assumption here, mostly black women and men and children, the, the burden of this call would have been very precisely felt. The burden to love in this way. The burden to not fight violence with violence. It would have been disproportionately felt. If I, as a white man, am in that same crowd, um, I think it would be disproportionately felt. And I don't think that means it was wrong in that moment. But what about for us, a multiracial church in 2022? I don't know that it's okay for the burden to be disproportionately felt. As I'm thinking about being maladjusted. What, what would it mean for our congregation to, to bear the burden together, to, to, to be living in, in solidarity such that no member of the body carries more of the load in nurturing beloved community, that those of us who have experienced more of a measure of privilege in this, in this country would, uh, would, would, would hear in this call um, a, 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 a kind of um, sacrificial solidarity that would be genuinely costly, deeply costly, so that the burden is truly shared. Um, I have to admit that, that much of the time that feels impossible to me. Um, I, I, I struggle to, I catch glimpses of it. And then it feels like it kind of disappears, uh, which has more to do with my own, I think, lack of imagination. Um, but I, I don't know, Pastor Michelle, I, I want to, I'm curious if you have any thought about that. Like, how do we be maladjusted truly together, truly with one another, um, so that those who have uh, 
uh, disproportionately carried this vision of the beloved community, have carried it for the good of all of us. Um, that that responsibility would would be more equally embraced and, and shared. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, it, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that is something, that's another reason why, um, like, we, we have to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Because when I, I think of, I think that that probably is true for, for some folks in our church, right? Um, but the spaces to be, like, genuinely broken, to be genuinely grieved, to genuinely feel the burden and the weight of that, like, it, you can't make, you can't muster that up in yourself. Um, it, it has to, like, the, the cost, the stakes, you, you can't, like, you can't do that outside of the Holy Spirit. So I, I think of, like, people in our community who, um, and, I'm, and specifically white folk in our community, um, who have allowed the Holy Spirit to make them uncomfortable in their own families. Right, like that's a, that. There are people in our in our church. I think you are one of those people in our church. Like there are people in our church who have allowed themselves to be um, to be willing to speak, even when it when it was going to be costly, and in spaces where it would be costly. When you do that over time, you start to feel that. Right, you feel that in your bones. You feel that in your body, um, because that was a real cost. That was a real stake. But you don't do that if you don't have to. Like no, <laughs> nobody is just going to be like, you know what, I'm. <laughs> And the flip side of that is you probably shouldn't do that if you, if you don't, right? Because we don't want to just go causing, yeah, we need to be submitted to the, to, the, to the Holy Spirit. And so, like, I hope that we would be a community, that we would be a people where everybody is genuinely willing and all of the time regularly, actively submitting themselves to the Spirit and inviting the Spirit to use their bodies and their voices in spaces that will make them uncomfortable. Because the more that happens, that the more you start to carry that burden. That's the, the burden is discomfort, right? That it's a, a constant sense of being uncomfortable, a constant sense of feeling like you have to fight. Um, well... The world has made it so for me. <laughs> um, but there are spaces that I have not had to do that. The Spirit led me into multiracial ministry. The Spirit led me into the, I'm here because that is my call. And so I'll stay here because that is my call. And that needs to be true for, for more of us, right? So, yeah, I don't know. Because, yeah, that's the only, that's it, the Holy Spirit. No, that's good. I think we talked about the Holy Spirit a lot today. Um, which is important for us to recognize, I think. So, friends, thank you for hanging with us for this this longer uh, conversation. And I, I want to acknowledge that when we talk about these sorts of things in multi-ethnic, multiracial spaces, uh, it's it's tricky. Uh, maybe that's why we talked about the Holy Spirit so much, because we need the Spirit to interpret uh, for us to our own experiences, our own questions, our own filters and lenses. Um, I want to invite uh, you, if there was something today that you heard that's like, ah, I'm kind of troubled by that, or uh, please reach out to, to either one of us. Uh, we, we're wide open to those conversations, to hearing from you. Uh, I, I do hope that you you hear in this today a little bit more of a vision of, of who God has called 
uh, this congregation to be for God's glory and for the good of our of our neighbors, our neighborhood, our, our, our city. It's not just for us. As we prioritize living this way together, we do participate in that fierce urgency of, of now that we talked about uh, earlier today. It's not one or the other. We don't nurture and prioritize uh, the, 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 um, the unity of the body at the expense of the life of the world. Never, never, never. Um, we, we see clearly in Scripture that, that, um, that our becoming who God has called us to be is always meant to be a blessing to, to the world. And so how we participate in that will sometimes feel risky and costly and sacrificial, uh, but we're called to, to do that and to be that together. So thank you all for being with us this morning. What I'm going to do now is pray to close this time, and then I'm going to ask, I'm just going to pitch it right over to Pastor Michelle to kind of offer a word of benediction and blessing uh, over the over the congregation today. Uh, remember that we will be back online next week. We have a, a guest preacher next week, a friend of mine, uh, TJ Smith, who you'll be hearing about. He's coming from Alaska. Um, and is going to have a good word about um, in the same theme of, of, of living together as God's people that we've been uh, spending some time with. So I do hope that you'll join us uh, next week. We'll be online for our Bible study again on Wednesday. Please join us uh, for that as well. And then just look on the Sunday page for all of the, the relevant announcements. Uh, so let's pray and then the, the benediction. Uh, Spirit of the living God, uh, we, we honor you for your presence um, among us today. We honor you as well for your presence among your people over the generations. We honor you for the, the legacy and the lessons that are available to us because your people uh, have consistently said yes to you, uh, even in, in times of, of great uh, uh, challenge and, and resistance and oppression and confusion and even debate about what is the best way uh, to, to follow uh, our, our Lord in this moment. So we, we bless you and we honor you for always giving your people what we need in, in any given moment. Uh, Lord Jesus, make us humble and make us curious about learning from our elders who've gone before us uh, in this life, who have wrestled with following you uh, uh, individually and as a, as a community. For our church, Lord, we, uh, we make ourselves uh, open and available to you. We recognize that we need uh, to be um, consistently and deeply and holistically formed by your Holy Spirit. We need to be uh, converted again and again and again uh, to, to the way of, of Jesus among us. Uh, so for those of us today, please, God, for those of us today, who hear this and who feel tired, uh, who feel worn down, who feel as though um, justice is always out of grasp, always seems to be out of reach. Spirit of God, would you, would you come in a, in a powerful way? Would you minister mercy and truth and grace and protection and provision in a, in a, in a powerful way? God, I, I pray for, for uh, people's bodies even right now as we've talked about uh, uh, painful realities that, that our bodies would rest in you, would find our, our place and our home in, in you. Uh, God, would you also give us your vision in the same way we talked about your love rather than our love. Give us your vision for our lives. Show us what you see in our lives. Show us the, the fruit and the Holy Spirit momentum. Show us how you you have allowed us to participate in, in your life in, in this world, Lord God. 
for all of us, make us discontent with the status quo. Make us discontent with anything that is less than what you desire for us and for your world. Make us that maladjusted people who just cannot fit in. Uh, with a status quo that is wicked, that is evil, that is, that is sinful. Uh, make it impossible for us to go with any flow that is away from you and your righteousness, God. Ma- ma- make us discontent with anything but the shalom of the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. We bless you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.